Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Damian Bolwa. Today on Fifth and Mission, a side effect of the pandemic that you may or may not have taken advantage of yet, the rise of home-based restaurants. That business model has informally been around for many years, offering immigrants and low-income people of color especially a way to start businesses that can create a devoted following. Sometimes those first businesses can be stepping stones to brick-and-mortar restaurants but many are underground and unlicensed. The tensions around the restaurants came to a head during pandemic lockdowns as some chefs who had lost their jobs sold food from their homes and sometimes faced shutdowns by authorities in addition to the already tricky issue of running a home kitchen. And while California law has allowed the practice since 2019, few places have set up systems to hand out these permits. My guests today are two Chronicle reporters Elgin Nelson, who has a story up today on sfchronicle.com about home chefs, and Cesar Hernandez, a food critic who's written extensively about these operations. Guys, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having me. Elgin, let's start with you. I mean, what's the latest on these operations? Where are we now with the government's approach to actually licensing these businesses? As of right now, the Alameda County Department of Environmental Health is in the process of renewing permits in the beginning of this month, actually. And it's only been a year since these permits have been issued. Um, the first permit was issued around August 4th of last year. And as of right now, out of 49 operations, there are only 24 active home restaurants. And the remaining 25 of those home restaurants are either closed or have an unknown status. So that's kind of where we're at right now. Only 24 in Alameda County. Yeah, I mean, I think a good way to explain this is um, in my reporting, I spoke to uh, Nancy Chang, who's the owner of Purpose and Hope, and she had some issues in terms of, you know, running her own restaurant. I mean, it, it's tough. Um, she told me that you, know, you pretty much have to be financially stable or have multiple streams of income to be running this type of business. This is not something you can just, you know, run on your own and she said that, you know, dealing with strict regulations and, you know, financial realities, especially coming out of the pandemic is, you know, is this worth it? And that's been the basis of our reporting. Now, Elgin, you write that there's a lot of complications and people are at sometimes struggling with these. Is that one of the reasons why there are so few? Yeah, I mean, that that's the whole, you know, that's pretty much the basis of my story is it's the hesitance in interacting with the government because there's so much in the air. Um, when it comes to dealing with operating a home restaurant. And, you know, I think a good person, you know, to bring up is the executive director of Cook Alliance, who's an advocate for these home restaurants. And her name is uh, Roya Bagari. And what she's told me is that, you know, there's growing pains, like these growing pains are inevitable with any major effort, especially regulating home restaurants. And, you know, some of these home chefs wish they could do more with these operations, but, you know, it's, like you said earlier, Damon, you know, these home restaurants are really like a stepping stone towards possibly opening up a brick and mortar. And in doing so, there's trouble 
in trying to, you know, communicate and talk with the government about regulatings and, and all these different things that are trying to go over. So, you know, it's tough. Okay, I want to come back to to some of those complications, some of the, the fees that people have to pay, some of the limitations. But Cesar, you've been writing about this since the beginning of the pandemic. Can you go back and, and talk about what you saw when this first kind of blossomed? Yeah, so I want to say that this has been going on for a long time. Like I had family who used to sell tamales out of out of home, and I think a lot of Latinos know people like that. But back in like 2020, when, when this was starting, I started reporting a story that I actually started a year before because I started to notice a lot of folks who were just going home just as a way to save money, which, you know, says things about the restaurant industry. But also once, you know, folks had to be sent home because of the pandemic, they suddenly found themselves with a whole bunch of time and they still had an audience, but they just couldn't be out in the street. So what a lot of folks did was they just started selling from home. They would, uh, set up like these pre-orders on, on Instagram and you would say like, we're going to have a plate lunch or we're going to have musubi and, and you, you set up the time slot. And there was this one spot called East Los Musubi. I was in LA at the time. Sorry, I forgot to mention. And you would set up the time and you would park in front of their house and they would just leave the bag on your trunk or on the hood of your car. And then you would just leave. It was, it was pretty painless. And then other folks who would just like, you would come into their house and wait and they would cook the food and then you'd pick it up and you'd leave. But as that, you know, as that evolved, there's in in the Bay Area, there's folks who have been doing this a little longer. The way I found them here in the Bay Area was through Facebook Marketplace. And they would advertise their, usually and generally, it's immigrant communities who would advertise their food and then they would have people come pick it up. So there was this one spot in Richmond that sold pupusas who'd actually been doing it for many, many years. And then because of the pandemic, they started to just kind of ramp up more. And, and I think tools like social media really helped them with that. All right. Give us like a quick how to on how to find these places on Facebook Marketplace. So unfortunately, a lot of them are written in Spanish. So you do have to speak Spanish. But a lot of them, you know, speak English. And a lot of them have children who speak English. Like I recently wrote a review of one in Richmond who sells carnitas. And... The way I found them on, on, on Facebook Marketplace is I just looked for the item that I was interested in. I just typed in carnitas and then they said, it's it's generally like an old post where they're like, oh, this is when we're going to be and this is where the times that we're going to be at. So you, you text them and you tell them what you want. They give you the address, you show up. And at this point, it was like the vaccines had started to roll out so you could hang out there and eat there. So it just depends. You you look for the thing that you really want and you hope that this post that you found isn't really, really old and inactive and you hope for the best. We should say that the two of you are kind of writing somewhat about two different things. Elgin, you're writing about this licensing procedure that a lot of people are struggling with. Cesar, you're talking about a lot of places that just haven't been licensed, right? And they're not concerned about it. Right. And that that's the difficulty is like, I think Elgin's story really hits on like how folks are trying to make this a legitimate business, but I think the desire for both groups is still there. Like both of them, a lot of them start out of necessity out of like trying to feed their family or trying to make a little bit of extra income. And, you know, there's not as much infrastructure to help some of these immigrant communities who their first language is in English a lot, a lot of the time. So, you know, it, it really varies and there's so many different groups, but that's what it was in my experience. 
All right. I have a lot of questions for you guys about the clientele and more about the, the limitations that some of the chefs are facing. But let's take a quick break. We'll be right back right after this on Fifth and Mission. You're listening to Fifth and Mission. You can support the newsroom that creates this podcast by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. Welcome back to Fifth and Mission. I'm Damian Bullwood, joined by Chronicle reporters Cesar Hernandez and Elgin Nelson. We're talking about home restaurants. There was a, a boom during the pandemic, but it's been slow going and a lot of, of limitations so far. Cesar, I want to ask you about the audience. I mean, are we talking about uh, neighbors of folks? Are we talking about people who are looking for authentic foods that they haven't been able to find? Or are we talking about the foodie crowd that sort of loves to find things on the internet? I think that that's, that's an interesting question because there's there's definitely a bit of both. And I think, especially with you know, my writing about these for the Chronicle, I think that that definitely shifted uh, some of the demographics. But in the Bay Area, some of the spots that I wrote about um, were definitely first catered to the community, especially the ones who were doing it prior to the pandemic. But a lot of them, I would say, like seventy-five percent of them did the, did it in the pan or started doing it in the pandemic. And I think that once there's different attention and like. That's when the the foodie crowd starts to to come in, but a lot of the times it's like offering a piece of their home country that they can't find here, and they're just making it at home. It also seems like a lot of people just need to find that that kind of next next big thing. I know that they're reading your stories, for example, and they're like, "Okay, I got to try this. I'm gonna I'm gonna stand in line for this, even if that, if it's at someone's house." Yeah, and I think it's also like the fact that you know in L.A. I think there's there's sort of like established. Uh, Mexican food, regional Mexican food, uh, specifically for tacos. But in the Bay Area, I think it's a little more stratified. Like you can find it, you just really have to look for it. For example, there's this one lady who sell. her name is uh, Tortilleria Mamacuca. And she started off making flour tortillas and then she transitioned into opening a, a, a taco shop that sells like Sonoran style on flour tortillas, uh, tacos. And, you know, she started just selling to people who really missed uh, Sonora, who really missed like Obregón, who missed her home. And then little by little, she started to like make these connections with with local Bay Area people. And then, you know, I, I found her, Soleil found them. And like, we just, it just like kind of changed, you know, who started to go there. But, you know, it does start and, I, you know, it does often start from like a place of like, I'm catering to my community. Homesickness. Totally. Elgin, I want to go back to you. We were talking about some of the limitations that these chefs face as they're trying to start businesses. One of them is a $50,000 limit to revenue for the, for a business in Alameda County. For people that are trying to start up, how do they regard that? How, what does that do to their to their plans? Yeah, it's it's an issue because, you know, as people, you know, this is a passion of theirs. Uh, most of these home chefs, they want to cook and serve their community. And by doing so, they understand that this number limits them um, in a way because they are not able to live just off this number. Um, people have to work multiple jobs. There needs to be multiple sources of income. And it's a big issue when it comes to these home chefs is this number. And that's something that, you know, in my reporting with the Alameda County Department of Environmental Health, that number is still the same. Elgin, give us a sense of the current rules in Alameda County. So... 
you know, first you have to apply for a permit. That's the main game. Um, and that's going to come with, you know, a hefty $700 fee that's going to cover training um, on food safety requirements, you know, such as things like, you know, dairy products, you know, an on-site assessment of the residents and obviously a routine inspection of the home as well. And, you know, once you apply for that permit from then it's the waiting game, you know, to get approved, which may take days or may take up months. And then, you know, limitations such as the $50,000 verifiable gross annual sales cap. Um, there's also a limitation of only 30 meals per day or 60 meals per week. And there's a limitation on only having one full-time food employee. And lastly, the third-party delivery service may not be used other than disabled customers. Say, sir, what's been your experience with people dealing with these limitations, like in the amount of revenue they can make? And I also want to ask you, what's the difference between a home restaurant and a pop-up? I think part of the difficulty is that also it's just it's hard to get answers. And I think there's a there's there's a really rigid sort of guidelines for what you can sell. Like you can't have dairy products, and it, it, you you have to have your kitchen has to pass these inspections that you know, the way that we would for a restaurant, which is very like defined and like, this is how it is. And, and also like my reporting is a little older than Elgin's, but in my experience, when people try to get these answers uh, during the pandemic, it was hard to, to even get any answer and health officials realistically don't want to go inside of your house. And that's what they have to do. And, and at a time where like everybody had to be home and nobody wants to be around people, nobody really wants to approve a house kitchen to, to do this. So it's already like they they put this goalpost, but they put it on a mountaintop and it's really hard to get there. And to answer the second part of your question, the difference between a pop-up and a home kitchen, I think they can be the same thing. But oftentimes I think a pop-up is about like how it's something is marketed. Like pop-ups often come from chefs who used to work in the restaurant industry or people who kind of cater to a certain audience. And I think you know, like a home restaurant or a home kind of kitchen doesn't always do that. But again, like it's it's really case by case, but not every home kitchen is a pop-up. And a pop-up is usually you set up a kitchen, a pop-up kitchen in a place versus like a home kitchen is stationary. And that's where they set up. All right. The, the last thing I want to ask you guys is is sort of about the the experience for, for both the, the chefs and for the diners. I mean, it sounds like some of it is necessity, but there's also something special about it, right? I mean, what what's the experience? So I think over the last, in California at least, over the last, like, I want to say like five, ten years, I think the home operation as a place has really, like, taken hold. Like, a lot of these trends that we've seen, like uh, Smashburgers, arguably started in LA at a home, which I was at, and it, you wait like three hours and you just, you get this smash burger, right? So it is kind of like, I think part of the appeal also in the way that like foodies like to kind of go for this like very insular kind of like niche thing. I think it's the same thing. Like you feel like you're part of this community. Like I think so much of why I liked a lot of these home kitchens, the ones that cater to their community first, is that you really do feel like you're in someone's home. You feel like you listen to the music that they like, you eat the food that they like, and you behave the way that they would. And like you 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 feel like you're part of, of like a dining experience at someone's home. I agree with everything he just said. All right. Well, you guys have to promise that you'll take me out on an excursion soon. Absolutely. Oh, no, no doubt. Let's go. Of course. All right. Well, thanks for joining me, guys. I appreciate it. Take care. Thank you. Thanks to my guests today. They're Chronicle reporters Cesar Hernandez and Elgin Nelson. Thanks to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and thank you for listening.